0: Um, so, second Peter, Chapter Two, as we continue on um, looking at this subject of false teachers, a very foreign subject to all of you here today. I trust and pray um, and so we started this last week, and what we covered last week, we looked at. Um, We looked at the deception of false teachers. We looked at the doom of false teachers. And now today, as we pick it up in verse 12, we're going to continue on looking at the description of false teachers and then the danger of false teachers. So that's what we're going to be seeing here today as we look at God's word together. Let's look at verse 12, and here's what we read. But these, speaking of the false teachers... These, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption. So, here's the first description that we see of these false teachers, is that they're being likened to what? Brute beasts, right? Natural brute beasts. They're compared to wild animals that will follow their natural instincts. And you know... If you spend time in the wild kingdom, or if you have teenagers, you will know that oftentimes things can get a little bit wild, right, in that natural kingdom. You see, natural, in the natural animal kingdom, I mean, it's kind of like everybody's out for themselves. It is truly like a dog-eat-dog dog world. You don't see in the natural kingdom if, if there's an animal that's come and, and kind of, Killed another animal for food. They're not sitting there going, Hey, who can I share my spoils with? What less fortunate animals are there out there? No, they're, they're just like guarding this with all they got because they just simply want to feed their flesh. Right? And these false teachers now are being likened to these wild animals. I mean, that's the undomesticated animals. You can just even look to Domesticated animals, for those of you that have pets, to know that these are oftentimes unsophisticated, unrefined animals that have no filter. They don't care what they are doing in front of you. It's all about what they can do to gratify themselves, right? So, I just like to promote anytime I can the need not to have pets at home for my kids. But, um, <clears throat> especially when you got new carpets, you don't want to see that happening. But So, these false teachers are being likened to... Wild animals, unrefined. They're, they're unspiritual, and they follow their natural, sinful impulses. That's what Peter's likening these false teachers to. And he says, they're going to come along and speak evil of the things that they do not understand. And they don't understand it. Why? Because they're, they haven't been born again. They're unregenerated. They haven't truly come and yielded themselves... To the Spirit of God to say, I'm yours. I'm giving up my life because I want your life, Jesus. They continue on to try to gratify their own natural desires. So they cannot grasp the things of a spiritual element. In fact, Paul would say so in 1 Corinthians 2.14 where he says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Why? He can't know them because they are spiritually discerned. They, they haven't allowed themselves to be born again, born of the Spirit, to where suddenly, and, and for those of you, as I'm sure all of you can testify of, before you came to know the Lord, you might have opened up the Word and thought, what in the, what is this saying? I don't get it. Suddenly you came to that point where you said, you know what, Jesus, I'm all in. I gotta yield to you. I need you, Jesus. And suddenly you became born again, you opened up the Word of God, and you're like, Oh my goodness, this is incredible. How come I never saw this before? Because you were spiritually discerned. And now you've been born again. But these false teachers, they're not there. And so they speak evil, the things they do not understand. They'll, they'll put down the word of God. They will mock it. They will say, you don't need to follow the word of God. I've got something better for you. Follow what I've got to say to you. And because they don't get it, because they have dismissed the word of God and ultimately dismissed God, Peter says they're going to perish in their own corruption. The The end is not going to be pretty for them. Just like these brute beasts that Peter says in verse 12, they're meant to be caught and destroyed, right? Essentially, God said, I've given you all these animals for you, you know, For mankind, for your benefit, well, so too these false teachers are are simply meant to be caught and and destroyed. They're going to perish in their own corruption. This isn't, isn't, you know, God's election or predestination for them. It's because of their own corruption, because they haven't yielded to the Lord that this is going to happen to them. Verse 13 goes on to say, And they will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. So in other words, Peter says, they're going to receive their due because of their corruption, because they've dismissed the word of God, because they've continued on like natural brute beasts who just are simply looking to gratify their own sinful desires. They're going to reap. The wages of unrighteousness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. There's no other way, guys. That's why it's it's so harmful to to mess around with sin because the outcome of that can never be good. The cost of sin is death. Philip paraphrases this verse this way. He says, their wickedness has earned them an evil end and they will be paid in full. That's the truth. You, You reap what you sow, Right? And these people have been sowing to their own corruption and to the corruption of others. And they're going to reap what they sow. They're going to be paid in full. And notice, Peter says, these individuals don't even try to hide it. He says they're openly exposing their shame. He says they carouse in the daytime. You see, most people will still have a sense of shame, uh, of sin. They, They have a consciousness where they go, I know this isn't right and I'm going to try to hide this, right? Like whenever I look to do something wicked, I make sure nobody's around, and and I do it in the night. I'm just teasing, come on. doesn't happen, but most people are going to try to hide that and do. That's why the Bible says that that people love darkness, and they they try to, that's why when Jesus came as the light of the world, it exposed that darkness. They want to stay in the darkness. But these false teachers, they've gone way, way past that, and they're carousing in the daytime. They're just like, we don't care. we got nothing to hide. We're, going to just, we're just going to do all this, right? You see, they've kind of seared their consciousness where there's no longer any conviction or shame over these things. It's a dangerous place to go. A dangerous place to be when you no longer have any, any conviction over sin. And that's the result when you continue, continue to harden your heart. You harden your heart so, so much to where you no longer feel the sense of shame over sin, Peter says there, verse thirteen, still that there's spots and blemishes. That that brings in some language that would have been very familiar to the Hebrew people, because of course when they were bringing sacrifices to God at the temple or in the tabernacle, they would have to bring in a, a, a perfect sacrifice, a sacrifice that was without spot or blemish. It was not to be defiled in any way, right? Just as Jesus came as a perfect sacrifice without spot or, or blemish. But these now are being compared to those with spots and blemishes. They're, they're defiled, right? They're tainted. They're not fit even to masquerade as they're redeemed. They've been posing as believers. That's like what we looked at last week when they were very, remember that word plastic we saw? They, they're just fake. They're phony. They're, they're hypocritical. And so these, these false teachers, they were coming in, and playing the part of believers, and they're joining in with them in, in the feast. While they feast with you, Peter says at the end of verse 13. Now that feast that we're looking at, most people would identify as this agape feast that the early church would take part in. And it was all kind of linked to our modern time of communion. What the early church would do, they would have this special agape feast, love feast, where they would come together like a potluck. They would share in a common meal. And it was tied to, centered around the Lord's Supper, where they would remember the Lord's sacrifice, right? But these people were coming in, and they were kind of just abusing this feast. Again, like natural brute beasts, they were only looking to feed their own fleshy desires. They're like, free food, all right, let me at it. And they're jumping in. Now Jude, the book of Jude, closely relates to and is connected to 2 Peter 2. There's a lot of similarities between these two chapters. And Jude, verse 12, says this. These, speaking of these false teachers, they're spots, In your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. That's what these false teachers did. They were only out for themselves. They didn't care about other people. Right? There's no shepherding heart here. They're just feeding themselves, serving themselves. Paul had to also correct this abuse going on in the church at Corinth because they too were coming in and, and just making a mockery of this agape feast and the, and the Lord's Supper. They were coming in and getting drunk. They were pigging out. Paul said, listen, if you're hungry, eat at home. Don't use this as like your main meal of the day and especially let us be a time where we can help those less fortunate that maybe don't have the luxury of having a full meal at home. Let them feed here. You don't come in and abuse us. And then... Paul goes on to give us the instruction for the Lord's Supper there in 1 Corinthians 11 after talking about the abuse going on at this feast. Well, that's what Peter's having to address with these false teachers here. Now, it's interesting because there's such an incredible contrast to what Paul speaks about the church. And regarding the church here now not being without spot and blemish or being without spot and blemish, he says in Ephesians 5, Verse 26 to 27, that he, Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Do you you see that? God's desire, Jesus' desire for you, the church, is to be without spot or blemish. And that's all made possible through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who has come and, and and given his life as a sacrifice for us to be cleansed, and he continues to cleanse us, how? Through the water of the word, it tells us in Ephesians 5. The washing of the water of the word. Are there spots or blemishes in your life? Listen, today, as you come to Christ, as you come to the word of God, it's the word of God that's going to help in cleansing and removing those spots from your life. Keep pouring into the word and seeing God's word being poured into you because it'll be a wonderful cleansing agent in your life. Verse 14 goes on to say here, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, they have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. So these false teachers are always looking for the next conquest. They have Eyes full of adultery. In other words, they're always looking for that next kind of illicit, immoral affair or relationship to be involved in. They're always looking to see how they might gratify those sinful impulses and desires. They're continually pursuing these things. When this is what you're putting in front of you, you're not going to be able to cease from sin. How we need to guard our eyes. Right, like like Job says, I I put nothing, you know, impure in front of my eyes. He wants to make a covenant with the Lord, not to put anything that might stumble him in front of him. But these guys, they just have eyes full of adultery. It's like always looking for the next pursuit to gratify the flesh. How are we be careful that what we're viewing, what we're taking in, is going to produce holiness and, and wholesome health to our lives? Again, that it's. It's the word of God, it's the things of God that we're, we're taking in and putting before us. Now, what's even worse with these false teachers, not so much that they're having these eyes full of adultery, but that they're leading other people into these things. They're enticing, it says in verse 14, unstable souls. So they're, they're preying upon those that might be weak in the faith. And they'll come alongside and say, hey, listen, you really think that's the way that you're gonna experience life? By giving yourself to this, Jesus person? You think that's the way you're going to really enjoy? No, no, let me tell you. And they will will prey upon unstable souls, those that are, are maybe weak in the faith. It says in verse 15, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor. Who loved the wages of righteous of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. So here Peter lays out really the way of Satan, right? The deception of the enemy, because Satan will come alongside and try to make the right way look like the wrong way, and make the wrong way look like the right way, right? Peter says they they forsaken the right way. They've gone astray, they've gone the wrong way. Satan loves to make this wrong way look enticing, like it's going to be packed with fun and blessing in your life. You're going to really profit from this. Satan would love to make you think that his way is going to ultimately be better for you. You look at the path that many in the world are on and you recognize that they're just being misled deceived and thinking they're doing what's right. Proverbs says in verse chapter 14 verse 12 that there's a way that seems right to man but its end is the way of death. Understand that here that 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 Satan cannot deliver on what he promises for you. And and it might seem like the right way for you. This this will help me. This will profit me. But if it's apart from the Lord's way There's only one way that that's going to end up And it's the way of death It's a sad outcome Well, Peter brings up a great Old Testament example Of what these false teachers are like And the example is of Balaam, which is found in Numbers chapter 22 to 24. Balaam, interestingly, is mentioned three times at the end of God's word as kind of this this poster boy of going the wrong way. So in Second Peter chapter 2 here, it's the way of Balaam. In Jude, where he's mentioned again, it's the error of Balaam. And then in Revelation 2 verse 14, it's the doctrine of Balaam. All these things stand as an illustration of going the wrong way apart from God's way. So Balaam here, the story of Balaam is that, you know, Balak, the king of Moab, was getting a little worried when he saw the people of Israel moving in closely around Moab. Israel was a strong army and, and, and Balak was fearing them, didn't want to face them. So he's thinking, you know what, maybe I can get one of those prophets for hire that can pronounce some cursing upon God's people and, and, and just curse them and, and weaken them and they won't be a threat to us any longer. So Balak goes and he calls upon Balaam, this known prophet in the day, thinking Balaam will curse him. So he goes and he asks, sends some messengers, asks Balaam to come our way and curse Israel. So Balaam gets the invite and says, let me pray about it. God says, no, don't do it. Balaam's like, sorry, I can't do it. Well, word comes back to Balak. He's not happy. He's like, listen, you know what? Let's, let's kind of you know, entice him a little bit more. Let's, let's offer some more money here for him. So now messengers come again. Balaam, we really need you. Would you do it? And now Balaam starts seeing the the cash flow. He's like, "Ooh, this would let me. You know what? This this requires me to maybe pray about this again. Maybe God didn't hear me right the first time. Maybe God will change His mind when He sees how much I can really, you know, get out of this here." So he prays, and God says, "Listen, I've already answered this, but you know what? If they come to you again, you may go with them." But the next day, Balaam just goes on his way. Seeking after them he, he is being led now by greed and, and lust for riches He's looking to feed his own flesh So he just goes contrary to How God instructed him So there's Balaam He's riding making his way to, to Balak and, and he's riding on his, on his donkey And suddenly the donkey sees this angel of the Lord That's there to kind of stop Balaam From going in his own ways here And the donkey stops And Balaam's like What's the matter with you? And then finally the donkey keeps going and, and, and finally the donkey just lays down. This angel of the Lord that Balaam doesn't see, but the donkey does. And, and Balaam just starts beating his donkey and the donkey turns and says, yo, what's up, man? What are you doing to me? Have I ever done this before? Like, obviously something's up here. Stop hitting me. And then Balaam realizes there's an angel of the Lord there in front of him. He stops. Can you imagine that? Donkey talking to you. Isn't God awesome how he does that, right? Uh, Jay Vernon McGee, I love what he said. He said, Some wag has said that in the old days, it was a miracle when a jackass spoke, and now in our day, it's a miracle when one of them keeps quiet. It's kind of true, you might think that every Sunday too, I don't know. But now, Balaam, you see, went, and as he now goes, he simply speaks what the Lord gave him, and he pronounced blessing upon Israel. He didn't curse them, he couldn't. God, God just spoke through him, but when you continue on in the book of Numbers and you get to chapter thirty-one, suddenly you see some insight that wasn't shown to us before. that You realize, oh, it seems like Balaam maybe went against the warlord because there in Numbers thirty-one verse six, it says or verse sixteen, it says, "Look, these women caused the children of Israel." through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of pure, And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. So right after Balaam was prophesying, we see in chapter 25, a sudden Israel, entering into sin with the people of Moab. And you think, where'd that come from? Numbers 31 sheds the light. They followed the counsel of Balaam. Which seems that Balaam said to Balaam, listen, I can't curse Israel. But here's what you can do. You can entice them. You can bring your, your, your daughters and, and women in front of them. And if they intermarry with them, God's going to curse them. They're going to be going against God's word. And the council of Balaam, that's what took place. And a plague broke out on the camp as they began to, to have these relationships with, with Moab and, and, and intermarry with the, the daughters of, of Midian. And, and it became a, a curse upon Israel. All because Balaam, simply looking to cash out, profit for himself. He was willing to sell out everything to make a buck. Sadly, that's what we see happening with false teachers today. They're willing to name the name of Christ, but it's for what they can claim for themselves. People today are attempting to profit off of the gospel. Some are twisting the truth of the gospel just so that they can go and make a buck for themselves. It's so very sad, but this chapter is written for us so that we will be on guard and not be gullible to fall into their deception. Because they can come and look the part of a prophet. But if they're not proclaiming Jesus, they will profit you nothing. Notice what Peter says about them. He says in verse 17... These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Because you look at some of these people and think, oh man, they got all the answers. They're going to give me what I'm really looking for. They're going to really help my cause here. But Peter says they're wells without water. Now, in this day, right, if you're on a journey, especially there in the Middle East, I mean, you didn't have a nice 7-Eleven to stop at every two miles and pick up a big gulp on your journey, right? You... We'd be walking through the desert and suddenly you'd see well in the distance and you'd think, oh man, finally I'm going to be able to quench my thirst. That's going to provide what I need. And you'd go up to that well and Peter says, these false teachers are like those wells that have no water. you go up to that well thinking this is going to provide everything I've been desiring for the last little bit of my journey. You get to it and it's dry. It's empty. It, it gives you nothing. It helps in no way. And he says, they're also like these clouds carried by a tempest. Unlike our weather patterns today where we're seeing clouds going, would you just go away in that day and in that area of the world, when you saw clouds coming, you're thinking, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Now we're going to see some rain finally come and water our crops, we can grow our harvest. Like This is good news for us. But Peter says these false teachers are like these clouds that begin to to come in and you see them and you think, they're going to give us the hope that we've been looking for. And suddenly a wind just blows them away, takes them away. Suddenly you're like, oh, I guess we're going to continue on in this drought right now. That's what these false teachers are like. They might look like they're going to provide that quenching of the thirst for you or provide the hope that you've been looking for, but in the end, it's dry. It's hopeless. They've got nothing for you. They don't have the answers because they're void of Christ. All that we need is found in Christ. There are people today who are spiritually dry, people today who are looking for hope, and it's only found in one person. It's found in Jesus Christ Christ who gives us life, who gives us hope, who gives us all that we need. It's found in him and in him alone. And these false teachers are sadly not not bringing forth Jesus, not bringing the one that can truly help in these things. Listen, if you're listening to a message or a person and they fail to bring up Jesus often, they need to question what they're peddling. I'm not saying they're a false teacher but you'll know when someone is on the mark when what they have to say is very Christ-centered. And you can sit in a lot of churches today and you can hear a message that is very void of of Jesus. It's all about, you know, feeling good and and just strengthening who you are, you know, reaching ahead to your destiny. All these flowerful things that might sound good and be like, oh, yeah. I mean, you can get the, the same message at a, what's his name? Timothy Robbins, is that his name? What is his name? Tony Tony Robbins, that's the one. You can get the same message there at one of his conferences, right? I mean, we need to be promoting and presenting Jesus Christ from the pulpits of our churches today. Because he's the only one that can provide that help and hope that we need. These false teachers weren't, weren't doing so. And here's the danger now of false teachers. Look at verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness... They allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. These false teachers know how to talk themselves up. They speak great boastful words of self-promotion, like they're going to you know, help you along in life, give you all that you need. But they also preach great swelling words of nothingness. In other words, when they're preaching their sermon, it might sound so eloquent and flowerful, but in the end, nothing of importance was said. William MacDonald in his commentary quotes from a, a well-known theologian of our day, and this is what this well-known theologian said in one of his sermons. He said, it is not a relationship of either parity or disparity, but of similarity. This is what we think, and this is what we express as the true knowledge of God, although in faith, we still know and remember that everything that we know as similarity is not identical with the similarity meant here. Yet, we also know and remember, and again in faith, that the similarity meant here is pleased to reflect itself in what we know as similarity And called by this name, so that in our thinking and speaking, similarity becomes similar to the similarity posited in the true revelation of God, to which it is, in itself, not similar. And we do not think and speak falsely, but rightly when we describe the relationship as one of similarity. Amen. Anybody ready to be saved? Right? I mean, you're listening to that going, what? Sometimes we can get in that thinking where we're like, oh my goodness, that message was so good. Oh, so powerful. I mean, it went right over my head. I have no idea what he was saying, but that must mean that it was good, right? I mean, we can just kind of put this, this message out there that sounds so wonderful, great, swelling words, but it, it, it's nothing. It's nothing. I mean, I love the, the, the slogan that Calvary Chapel has had for so long, where it's just simply this, simply teaching the Word of God simply. That's it. The Word of God isn't complicated, but yet it's sad that the Word of God is very foreign to a lot of believers, and how we need to just simply teach the Word of God simply. It's really the only way that I know how to do things, is in simplicity. Chuck Smith would say, the acronym KISS, keep it simple, stupid, and that's what we need to do sometimes, right? And it is, it's, it's very simple, it's just really all about Jesus and the life that he's given us, life he has for us. That life of just abiding in him, it's, it's very simple. But these false teachers complicate it. They try, to, they, they try to make it sound so complicated that you need to depend on them. They're the ones that are going to help you along, give you what you need to know. And they kind of keep you in the dark from just the simplicity and the power of God's word. Wow, look at verse 19. While they promise him liberty... They themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. So they'll tell people that the way now, listen, the way to really be free, the way to really enjoy life is to live life to its fullest the way that you want to live it. The way that's going to really be pleasing to you. Oh, this whole way of, uh, of the word, you know, obeying commandments. No, you got you to break free from that. That's what's going to bring in bondage. Liberty is going to be found in living life your way. That's what these people will say. That's what we often hear today, isn't it? Where it's like, man, I just want to follow my truth, live life my way. I want to be free, and yet, there's ultimately no freedom in that. Because sin always promises what it can't deliver. Sin will say, do this, live life that way, and this is what you'll get out of it. But sin can never deliver on its promises. Again, a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. And whatever you allow to overcome you or become your passion, that is what you'll become a slave to. And you have a choice here today. You can be a slave to sin or you can be a slave to God. Here's the thing. Peter, sorry, Paul put it this way. Romans 6 verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? In other words, you're going to have to serve somebody. Bob Dylan did have it right when he sang that song. You're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody, right? And, and here's the thing, is it can be sin in which death is the result, or you can serve God in which you're led into life and righteousness. Led into His truth that brings peace and freedom Ultimately. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And it's life in Him that truly we're set free. It's not in any other way. It only comes through a relationship with Jesus. Now, a lot of people don't like this idea of being a slave or a servant to anything. They're like, I'm my own person. I'm going to do what I want. But here's the reality, and this is kind of what Peter is getting at whatever overcomes you, whatever's your passion, is what you become a slave to. You're going to serve something. The key is finding the good master. And there's only one good master it's God. Who's a good God who loves you and has the best in mind for you. God's desire is not to come and be a servant so that I can really exercise my authority over you and, and boss you around and make you do awful, uncomfortable things that you don't want to do. That's not God, it's a good master. And the key is finding that good master because you're going to serve something. What are you serving today? Who are you choosing to serve today? Peter goes on to say verse 20, for if after they've escaped the pollutions of the world to the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome... Well, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Again, the only way to true freedom is through Christ. But if like these false teachers who turn back to the former things, the things of this world apart from Christ, you'll find that the outcome will never be a good one. Ignorance can be a very bad thing, but disobedience is always far worse. And that's what these people were doing. They, they Again, we're not talking about, in this chapter, false teachers who mistakenly, you know, mess up on their interpretation of God's word, who are seeking to promote Christ, but, but might have a, a wrong idea about something. We're talking about false teachers who are deliberately looking to lead people into deception, who are deliberately trying to come across as followers of Christ, but I've no desire to follow Christ. And so these false teachers were ones that, perhaps it seems like what Peter's saying, at once had come to Christ, but then have, have turned away. And they've gone back their own way, back to, again, like brute beasts who follow their own natural sinful impulses. And they charted that course for them in that path. They've gone back to these things. And Peter says, listen, the outcome for them is going to be far worse than it was at the beginning. Because now they're not just sinning in ignorance, they're, they're sinning against knowledge. They know better. And they're choosing to go their way. Ignorance can be a very bad thing, but disobedience is always far worse. As the proverb says here, Peter shares what, what Proverbs says, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her, wallowing in the mire. These false teachers, no matter how spiritual they might have come across, they ended up just doing what was natural to them. Why? Again, because they hadn't been regenerated or born again. And they, they didn't allow Jesus to truly come in, where they had surrendered and crucified the flesh and served the Lord. They went back to what was natural to them, like a dog who returns to his vomit. Or you think, you go, "What is the matter with you? Why would you go near there? Stay away from it." But that's what they do. They do a lot of far worse things too. But that's part of it, right there. And then a pig—you can take a pig, and you can dress up a pig. You can put a—you can literally put a dress on it, put some makeup on this thing. But you're not going to take it out to a nice restaurant, thinking that it's going to sit at the table and be comfortable it wants to return to what is natural to them. It wants to hang out in the pig pen with the mud and wallow in the mire. That's what comes natural to them, no matter how you might dress it up. These false teachers are the same way because they haven't been regenerated. They might look the part, but they're going to return to what is very natural to them. Again, that's why we need to crucify the flesh. Paul would say in Romans 6, Verse 6 to 8, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, Jesus, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died, notice this, has been freed from sin. They offered freedom. But it only comes through our own death, to our flesh and sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him. Man, it's so important that we continue on in this way of of dying to self to say, I want to live in and for Christ. I want to experience that blessed freedom that He has for me now, and that freedom that only comes when I crucify the flesh. So important that we hold fast to the truth because this again would remind us that there are those that have kind of looked like they've gone the right way, but have turned back. It doesn't matter how you begin, it matters how you finish. Where are you at with your walk with the Lord? Maybe you've been coasting in what you've once done or who you once were. And maybe things have gotten dry for you. Maybe you've looked at other things and thought, maybe there's more out there. No, we need to continue on holding fast to the truth and the simplicity of God's word. And and we have a role to play as a church coming together as we do, I'm so thankful that we can do this, to encourage and edify one another. Look at what Hebrews 3, verse 12 to 14 says, reading from the NASB, says this, Do you not know, or sorry, take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we, if, notice that, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm till the end. Just what you've heard at the beginning, that assurance of salvation is found in Christ and in Jesus alone. You've got to hold fast to that. we become partakers of Christ if we hold fast. But notice that, oh, let us come alongside and encourage one another so that nobody will be, Hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and get tripped up by a false teacher, a false message, a false hope that is contrary to God's word. Oh, may we continue to support and encourage and edify one another as we keep our eyes on Jesus and keep one another pointed to Jesus. Amen? Worship team, come on up. Let's um, just take some time to, as we always like to do at the end of our service, just, just to respond to the Lord. Maybe the Lord's speaking to you in a way today where maybe you've drifted. Maybe you've been holding on to inferior things and you've gotten away from just the simplicity of God's Word and His truth today. And today you're saying, Yeah, I want to get back to what the Lord has for me. Maybe I've allowed things into my life that have caused me no longer to be serving the Lord as I would like, and I've become a, in bondage to other things. Maybe today's the day that you say, Lord, set me free from that. Help me to crucify the flesh that I might be freed from sin and more alive to you. Let's stand together. Let's just take some time to respond to the Lord in worship and in prayer and just seek the Lord here today. Lord, God, we come to you today here. And we thank you for the truth of your word that you've given us, Lord. And we pray that we'd be a church that holds fast to it, continues on in it, and that lives it out in a way that we might lead others in the truth because there's so much deception at work in the world today, people being led astray. And I pray that we would be those that are presenting the right way, presenting your truth, presenting Jesus. And may we live for you wholeheartedly and serve you alone, God, knowing that you are a good master. We want nothing more than just to be a servant of God. So would you help us and encourage us and enable us, help us to be a church that comes alongside one another to continue to stir one another up to love and good works here in this place. So I ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.